0: Psalm 19, we started this last week, we're going to finish it today, give you a second to get there. Let's be reminded of the first six verses, so follow along with me, I want to read the first six verses uh, together, Be are reminded of it and then we'll go on to the rest of the psalm. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, We recall last week, just looking over these six verses, and really, it can be summed up in verse one, how the heavens declare the glory of God, and just the challenge for us to see that, and to be reminded of that, and to, to know how creation itself is drawing us to God. That is, its purpose is to is to draw us to say, there is a God, there is a creator, there must be. And I, I want to know him. I want to know who this is. And But we see throughout history, and we, we know that many people run from that. Many do not seek after God. Even though they see creation, they they see all of it, yet they will turn their back from, from God. They don't want to have anything to do with God, and they will start to claim that there are other reasons maybe that we are here, even to the point of saying it's it's just an accident that all this happened and that all of this occurred. And, and so we just tried to get our minds set last week again of thinking about Creation and its purpose to help us to see God, and I, I hope that maybe this week you remembered that and you and you thought about that. Now, when I when I say that to you, I know that many of you are probably like me that when you think about what was preached last week, you're like, I don't have a clue. Even though I even said today, today's Psalm 19, part two. You might have been, when was part one? And you were here last week, so I, I understand that. I, I'm the I'm the exact same way. So. I'm not trying to ridicule anybody, but hopefully you remembered some of it. And at some point this week, during your drive to work, or maybe it was your drive home, or maybe you were in your backyard, or on your front porch, or whatever it might have been, you had the opportunity to sit and to to think of how amazing God is and what he created. And how he created this for us to enjoy, for us to be a part of, but he also created it with the purpose to draw you to him. This week I had to go to Virginia, and so I flew to Virginia, and flew home, and uh, flying is always one of those opportunities for me, I feel like, uh, to be reminded of how big God is. You know, I always like looking at takeoff, and looking out the window, and everything looks normal out the window at first. You start to gain speed, and you start to gain altitude, and everything starts to change. Everything starts to look so different, and then you get to the point when you're so high, you feel like you can see everywhere, Right? you can see just the expanse of of everything, and you start to feel, if you're like me, you start to feel very small. You start to feel very insignificant, you know, and, and I look at that, and I just think, God, God created all of this, and not just that. God is in all, he's everywhere all the time. He's ever-present. None of this goes away from his sight. Nothing happens without him knowing, and he oversees all of this, land that I don't even know about, land that never crosses my mind, land that I don't even contemplate. God knows about it and he cares about it and he's using it for a purpose to draw people to himself. So I hope maybe you had some time this week to think about that, to to think about creation and even to reflect on the fact because we started talking about the point last week that there are many people who don't know God, they don't want to know God, they they actually run from God and a lot of times we can get angry about that as Christians but in fact, I don't think we should get angry angry about it i think it should break our heart and give us a desire to tell them about the god who created all things and to pray that god would open their eyes to that truth to to see that and to know that and to fall on their faces before him well hopefully you also remember but we talked about creation doesn't point people to christ though creation points people that there's that there's god but we, we need more than just creation to know the story of salvation, to know even the story of, of man, and that's where the rest of this psalm goes in verses uh, 7 to the end, in verse 14 there. So follow along with me, I want to read that, and then we'll, we'll dive into this together. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. There's a real subtle change in verses 1 to 6 to verses 7 through 11, but it's a change that I think is necessary for us to understand. And it, it's actually in the language that is used here. I know for some of you, you love hearing about language. I know for others of you, you're like, I don't care about the language. But language can be important, and it can point us to stuff. You see, in verses 1 through 6, David uses the word L, just E-L for God. This is a, this is a general term for God, the fact that God is the God of all creation and all things. And And it shows his rule over over all people, which we would declare as well. God rules over all people. Whether they recognize it or not, he does rule over them. And so in the first six verses, there's a general use of the term for God. Again, it's it's L in verses 1 through 6. And talking about creation and how God is using creation to draw people to him. But there is a change when we get to verse 7. Because when we get to verse 7, David says... Lord here, which is Yahweh, that would have been the word that he used. This is the name that God had used to reveal himself to Moses and to reveal himself to the people of God, to Israel. So he didn't use the general term of God. He used a very specific term, Yahweh, your God. I am your God here. And that's what the change is that David starts to reflect here. The name of God for the people of God and David uses this when he starts to talk about the word of God, which is different from creation, but the word of God that God has given to his people to reveal himself to his people, and it represents his steadfast love to his people, his covenantal love to his people, his promises that will remain, his promise that I have chosen you, you are, you are mine, and I am yours, and that will not change. That will never be taken away. I hope that that's comforting for you to hear that about God. That God has a steadfast love for his people, of which hopefully I hope you are part of through the blood of Christ. And when we are a part of that, it's a love that never changes. It's a love that never goes away. It's, It's steadfast. It's sure. It's forever. And so it's not a love that you're trying to earn all the time. This is the name that David starts to use when he starts to talk about how God would reveal himself through his word. And you'll notice in verses seven uh, down through nine, there's six different words used for the word of God here, followed by six th- different adjectives, and then six effects or causes that happen because of the word of God. And we'll, we'll go through those real quick. The first one is he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now, the law of the Lord here is referencing the complete revealed will of God For David, this would be the, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible. That's, what, that's what's being referenced as David would talk, and he would write this poem here in Psalm 19. The whole reveal, revealed will of God is the law of God, and he says it's perfect. That's what David proclaims here. It's absolutely perfect and without error, and it actually fulfills a purpose, and what is that? It revives the soul That is the purpose of the law, is to revive the soul. Now, I don't know about you, but if you read the first five books of the Bible, I don't know how much it revives your soul. Because oftentimes what it does is you start to think, well, this is boring as I'm reading numbers or whatever. But you also start to realize there's a lot of rules here, and I'm not very good with many of them. So it's not necessarily very reviving, is it, to us. But yet David is declaring here, the law of the Lord is perfect and what it does is it revives the soul it gives life to the soul and we have to understand that this is a work of the word of God to give life to the dead only God does this work to give hope to the hopeless that is what the word of God is there for that is what it does God's word its main purpose is to give life to those who do not have life and we can't miss that this book that we gathered together to read on Sunday that hopefully you crack open some during the week, its whole purpose is to give life. It is to revive your soul day in and day out, to, to refresh you. Now, sadly, oftentimes, we for some reason push that word away. And maybe we push that word away because we're afraid that it's going to be damning to us when we read it, or it's going to be complicated when we read it. Or I guess there's a lot of reasons why maybe we we might push that aside and instead we go after other things. I want you to know, if if that's you this morning, the purpose of God's revealed will to us is to revive you, it's to refresh you. It's something that we would long for, that we want to be in because it is what keeps us going, what gives us life. And so I hope that we don't forget that and I want us to see that this morning. It revives the soul and gives life. Well, David then goes on and he says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The truth of God's word is sure. And why is it sure? It's sure because he testifies to that himself. If you look at 1 John 5, and it, it's not going to be on the screen because I added it this morning, there'll be a couple sets of verses like that, and so I apologize to those doing the screen. Don't panic, you don't have it. All right? But in 1 John Chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. This is what it says about the word of God. But you'll notice that it correlates the word of God with Christ. It says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater... For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. You see, God himself testifies to the word of God that it is sure and right. And what John is saying is a man might testify to something, and that is great. And we would take his word maybe on that and even trust it. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, who is the word made flesh to dwell among us, it is God who testifies to him, which is much greater than any man testifying to anything. I'm sure you've been in that situation before where you trusted somebody, you trusted their word. Maybe in the past it was trustworthy. But at this time, you get to whatever it is and you find this time the word wasn't trustworthy. It wasn't true. It could be something small, it could be something big. But regardless, what happens is frustration. And all of a sudden you trust that person just a little bit less. John is saying there as he writes John, he's saying, this doesn't happen with God. This testimony is much greater than any testimony of man. And therefore, because of that, there is great wisdom found in this word because it's true, because God testifies to it. This is why we see in Scripture that the beginning of wisdom is found where? It's, it's found in God. It's found in God alone. There is truth found only in him and nowhere else. And we'll get to that a little bit more. David goes on, he says, not only is the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, but he says the precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. There's there is precision in mind here with this word precept. The precision in which God says everything is perfect. There's a a reason why we have the Word of God the way we have it. It's because that's how God has planned it. That's how God has, has designed it and given to us. And it's it's perfect in how it's made, and it's precise. When I read that, I thought of Hebrews chapter 4. You might remember this verse if you've been in church very long. But in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and a marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The picture that we have there is the word of God being sharp. And when you come this morning... The purpose of the word of God isn't to speak to you to polish your nails so that they look shiny when you leave. To just cut off the little corners of your life that maybe need to be fixed a little bit. That's not the purpose of the word of God. Sadly, that's how it's used a lot of times. You know, let's let me me buff some things out. You guys are good people. Let's just let the word of God buff some things out of you and then you'll be even more presentable. No, that's not the purpose of the word of God. The purpose of the word of God this morning is to strike you in your heart. To convict you of sin, to help you see who you are, which is horrifying, but then to see the beauty of the word of God, that God loves you so much that in your sin, he sent his son to die for you, so that you can be beautiful in his sight, so that you can be righteous. You have this sin, but it's been dealt with by the precious blood of the son of God, Jesus Christ himself. You see, these are things that are supposed to get straight to the bone, straight to the to the marrow straight to the heart of the matter right there's no there's no fluffing it up here have you ever been in a situation with your boss or with somebody maybe and they bring you in to the office and they start fluffing you up and you've got to get to the point where you're like could you just tell me why you brought me here already I don't care about anything else you're saying is it bad is it good what do you have to do here let's just get to the point right that's I think the picture here God's word gets to the point. This is the problem with man, but this is the solution. And man's not the solution. God is the solution. And so we see this precision. And because it's so precise and because it is so accurate, what does that enable us to do? It allows us to rejoice, it says. There's great rejoicing in the heart because we know the problem, but we know the solution. And so we can rejoice in this together because of the accuracy and because it's right altogether, together. And so this is why it's so important for us when we gather together for worship as a church, as a church body, a church family. And this should be reflected in your personal life as well. The word of God needs to be central in our worship. Why? Because it is what is right. I shouldn't be center in our worship as pastor because I do a lot of wrong. I do a lot of bad at times. You shouldn't be center in our worship. You're just as messed up as me. Uh, nothing in our worship service should be central except the Word of God, because it is what we have today that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. It's all we got. We don't have anything else. We can think of all kinds of strategies, all kind of beautiful people maybe that we could put up on stage, and all kinds of happy stories that we could share. We could try, but that's just fluff, isn't it? All we have is the Word of God. That's what he's given us, but That word of God rejoices our heart and it's what causes our worship. Well, David goes on, he says, we also have the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Again, this points to the perfection of the word of God and it says it's enlightening, right? And this enlightening only occurs when? Through the word of God. This is the danger. There's a great danger. And I don't know how many of you listen to these types of people, but I know some of you do because Frankly, I see your Facebook posts. (laughs) I I then research those people uh, that you quote, and I start to see a lot of people who quote things like, I've got a word from God this morning that he gave to me. I want you to hear it. Now, if that doesn't follow with, so turn to this book of the Bible and let me read it for you, you should never listen to that person. You say, but some of the things they say might be good. No, they are false prophets. I want to warn you of that. They are false prophets who should never be listened to. I can never trust the man who says, God has given me this that is above and beyond the word of God. I should never listen to that man or woman. I I shouldn't let them have a place in my life. Why? Because they are not going to enlighten my eyes to God because the only thing that can enlighten my eyes is the true word of God. Nothing else. Nothing else. And sadly, Satan and his ploy has convinced a lot of good people that, oh, there's, there's special knowledge over here that only you're getting because I like you. That's not true. That is not real. And it needs to be avoided at all costs because it is only the word of God that can enlighten our eyes. And listen, church family, we have the book. I don't have to go anywhere else for it. We have this book. The church alone has this book that has been given to us to enlighten our eyes. And I'm not saying you shouldn't read other books. I'm not saying there isn't material out there that you should, you know, that you can't read and learn from. Yeah, of of course. The, The Bible doesn't really tell me much about math, does it? So math books are good. It's fine to have. But when it comes to what is this world? Why are we here? What is our problem? What is the solution? How do we deal with each other? The Bible has everything we need, absolutely everything we need, and it is the only thing that has been given to us to enlighten our eyes, and so it is important that as a church we stick to the word of God, and it is important that as the church we stand up for the word of God outside of the church, because we know, sadly, there are many people who are lost and dying, and they think their eyes have been enlightened, and the only thing they've been enlightened to is some trick by the devil himself. They're tricked. They don't even realize it. They're so lost. They think they have all the answers, but there's, there's no truth in the things they say because it doesn't come from the word of God. It comes from somewhere else. So as David continues on, he has a, another use of the word for the word of God here. And it's an interesting one, isn't it? He says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Now, this is a response of the word of God. Fear. Fear fear refers to our response. As we hear the perfect word of God, as we see the perfect word of God, we understand the perfect word of God, our response is trembling before him. Why? Because we start to realize how far removed we are from him. We start to understand that his perfection is so far from what we are, and so we fall before the word of God helpless and hopeless, just hoping for some good news, knowing that I am before the perfect judge here. You see, I could probably fool judges who sit on the bench at times. I, kids, you can fool your parents who are your judges a lot of times. You can, you can fool them. You can, you can trick them. And maybe you find a lot of pleasure in that. That's, that's fine, right? You can trick your boss at work into thinking you're a hard worker, You can do all sorts of things to trick the judges that we have on this earth, but the fact of the matter is when you stand before the perfect judge, God, who's all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful, it's scary to think about that. I can't trick him. He knows my thoughts. He knows everything I'm going to say. He knows everywhere I've been, everything I've done. How can I stand before him? And so all we're left to do is fall before him. That's all we can do. And so there's great... Fear in this, knowing that you alone are just. You alone are right. You alone are true. And here I am, a liar, a sinner. So our response is to fall in fear before the Lord, hoping that he can make us clean, hoping that he can save us. But then there's another one. The rules are true and righteous all together. His rules, which are given to humans, are perfect. He's the perfect rule giver. He alone is righteous, as we've said, and in him is righteousness found. How we should live, how we should act is given to us clearly in his word. We, we know all this. There's really no questions about it, and I, I found that to be the case most of the time in my life. You know, sometimes people will try to bring up scenarios and some really odd things to try to put you between two sins of which sin is the better one to choose here and we we like to debate that but for the most part in our life as we live our life it's pretty clear to us what is right and what is wrong according to the word of God we know it it's not something that even could be debated it's because he's given us his word and it's perfect and all of its attributes there and so it's the word of God alone that David gets to. Yes, creation draws us to God, but it is the word of God that reveals the Lord, Yahweh, right? The steadfastness. It's the word of God to where we can get to know God. I've heard it too much in ministry, which I've been in I've been in ministry now for 15 years in the pastorate. I can't tell you how many times I have heard people say, they don't say it in this way, but what they're saying is, we need to get past the word of God to more. You know, it's, there's got to be more to what you're saying. And so you, you preach and you teach the word of God day in and day out. You, you say that the word of God is so important, but yet people are like, in church, I need, I need more. And that's where those charlatans get us, where they say, I've got a special word today. Right? That, that's where they get us because we're like, I've been looking for something special. What David is telling us here in this psalm is there's, there's nothing more special than the book that we have been given. We cannot move on to more relevant things. We cannot move on to more exciting things. What we have is perfectly relevant, and it is the most exciting thing that's ever been given to us. God revealing himself to us in the word of God. And notice what David says about it in verse 10. He says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant worn, and keeping them there is great reward. Notice, notice how David seems to just fawn over the Word of God. I'm not trying to judge you because I fall in this judgment as well, but There's definitely times in my life where I couldn't say this honestly. God, I just love your word so much. It's like drippings of the honeycomb. It's just so sweet. Thank you for letting me hear your word this morning. Uh, Let me ask you, I mean, you've now heard quite a few passages read from Scripture, but go to the psalm that we heard that Pastor Dave read. I mean, after that, did you just feel like, oh, pour it on me, brother. I doubt it. I doubt it, if we even listened at all, but yet David is saying, your word is just so refreshing. It's it's so sweet. It's, It's what I want. It's what I desire, and as the people of God, that needs to be a part of our life. We need to pray that God would help it to be a part of our life. God, help me to go to your word. Help me to be refreshed by your word. Help me to to love your word above all things and again we all struggle with that none of us are perfect in that but we pray that god would do that in our life it's interesting as david continues on saying how much he loves the word of god and you would think david would be just so righteous in what he has wrote so far understanding this about creation and now he's he's managed to think of six different words for the word of god six different adjectives six different ways that it plays out in our life, and you think, this guy David, he's got to be just the most righteous and and holy person in the world, but yet as he's reflecting on the word of God, he's, he's reflecting on all of this. Notice what he says in verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then, then I shall be blameless in your sight. You see, what happens here is, and this is the order of it. We talked about this a little last week. Creation helps us to see something's going on here. God. The word of God then is given to us and we, we learn about God and we see his goodness to us in the blood of Christ. We, we start to understand all of this and where it leaves us is then we call out for the grace of God just like David is doing here. That can be our only response is to, to call out for grace. You see, one might think that when we see God finally and that we know God, our first response would be to tell everyone about it. You see, I've listened to some pastors before and there's one in particular. He, he's, he's very popular. He, he's had huge churches of tens of thousands. I think he's on his second one right now Uh, because of moral failure, he had to quit his first, but then he went and started his second. But his story kind of went like this. He went out in the woods, he was walking in the woods, and God revealed himself to him in the woods and said, this is what I want you to do. And he had had a few different things. It was like marry this girl, uh, I don't know, reach men, do something else, whatever it was. But he had this special revelation of God, and God met him in the woods, and so he then in turn went and did it. He did it. And the proof that it was God speaking to him was he was having great success. Tens of thousand, multiple campus church books, name all over the place. The problem I have with that is everywhere in Scripture, when people are in the presence of God and God reveals himself to them, they all respond the same way, just like David here in verse 12. Oh no, I am a sinner. Oh no, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be in the presence of God. I, I shouldn't be able to to hear from God. They all tremble. They all they all fall as if dead. They they all don't start to talk and have some grand plan. They all fall on their face before God saying, "I am unworthy. Mercy. I need mercy. Give me give me grace. Show me show me grace because I am at fault here. But yet of all these men and all these people who have these visions of God and these special words of God, it's never that way. They never fall on their face before God. It always comes across like, of course God would come to me. I'm, look at me. <laughs> I'm special. I think we have to be careful with that because we can start to do that in our own lives as well. David shows for us the response to the word of God and the response is fear. It's, it's dread because you start to see who you are. Again, if you read the first five books of the Bible... It doesn't take long before you start to realize, gosh, I think I'm just like Adam and Eve. (laughs) I question God all the time. Oh, let's get to this Ten Commandments stuff. I am the Lord your God, there shall be no other. Oh, no, that's not good because, to be honest with you, I worship a lot of gods money, fame, self, whatever it might be. I can't even do the first of ten. So we fall on our face before God, just like David, knowing that he's the great judge who has control. And we see this natural progression in this psalm, don't we? Here is God in creation. Here God has revealed himself to me personally in the word, and now I understand how sinful I am. And so David calls out to God like we need to do, like many of us have, and we say, God, please declare me innocent. Notice David doesn't say, What must I do to be seen innocent? He says, please declare me innocent. Now, parents, we don't even do this for our own children. Very rarely do our kids do something wrong and we just say, I declare you innocent. We don't do that. Most of the time we say, you need to go apologize and then you will be declared innocent, don't we? You need to go do this and that will be your punishment, and then that will be punishment served, and then it's good because of what you've done. You're grounded for two weeks. After the two weeks, you now will be declared innocent and right and just. That's how we view wrongdoing and what should be done. And so it would make sense for David to say, God, what must I do to be declared innocent? But he doesn't do that, why? Because in the presence of God he realized there there is absolutely nothing I could do There's there's nothing in the world I could do to fix my problem before God. And so David realizes, all I can do is bid for mercy. All I can do in this moment is say, God, please declare me innocent. And the good news of the word of God is that God does that, doesn't he? This work that only God can do the work that I can't declare myself innocent, only God can. You cannot declare me innocent. You cannot declare your children innocent. You, you ca- it can't be done. This is a work that only God can do, and this is the miraculous work of God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26, we see this. We see this played out. I think this will be on the screen, or you can turn there in your Bibles if you'd like. Romans chapter 3. In Romans, we, we read this last week, Romans 1. Romans 2, part of Romans 3, we're all in trouble, okay? I could sum that up as briefly as possible. But here's the good news. Paul says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Verse 23, very famous. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the first thing that we all hopefully understand here this morning. Everybody in this room has fallen short of the glory of God. We just, we just don't live up to it. I don't care how old you are. That's you. That's me. None of us can avoid that. But verse 24 is for all of us as well. For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, notice verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put, forth, put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. See, so as we read Psalm 19, I don't know how we can't then read Romans 3 because we have this picture of David falling on his face before God saying, please clear me of my iniquities. Right, please help me to avoid even the sins I don't know I have but we don't really have an answer. At the end of Psalm 19, I don't really have an answer. But in Romans 3, you and I have an answer. As you fall on your face before God and say, please find me innocent. God says, I have. Through the blood of my son. You're innocent. (laughs) You're free. You and I might ask, well, how can this be? How can this be? answers it for us don't it that Jesus Christ was put as a propitiation for your sins what that means is Jesus Christ took your place I don't know how often you think about this as a Christian but it needs to be on our mind you know back in the day we were able to do programs and stuff and COVID kind of hurt a lot of that but we would look at that cross scene and you'd be appalled by it but when God saw that cross scene he saw Tim on the cross You say, well, what do you mean? You weren't even alive 2,000-some years ago because Christ was my propitiation. He took my place. He bore my sin, my guilt, all of everything. He bore that. And so when he died, the Father saw me there. And so now when I go before the Father and say, God, forgive me of my sin, he says, yeah, done. It's done. You're innocent. Well, what do I have to do? Nothing, Christ has done it all for you. Get up my child, I love you. You're a part of my family. Have joy, have peace, enjoy creation. Share this good news with others. Let them know that the gift of grace is here. It's made available, if only by grace, through faith it says, right, to be received by faith. It's yours, it's yours. Now it's so hard for us because we always know that there's a catch. You guys know this. Hey, come in here for a couple hours. We'll give you a free couple nights stay in a hotel. What does that mean? It means come in here and we're going to try to sell you a timeshare. Right, we're going to try to rope you in for thousands of dollars. We're going to waste more than two hours of your life. There's a catch. There's, there's always a catch. Maybe you get the emails too. Hey, would you want to join this lawsuit for Roundup or whatever it is? Have you ever used Roundup? I've used Roundup. Well, join the lawsuit. You could win millions of dollars. All right, sweet. There's a catch. Always. There's always a catch. And so you might be sitting here this morning thinking, Pastor Tim, there, there's a catch to this. The answer is, there's no catch. Christ died for you, we see in Romans chapter 3. And so our sins that we are aware of, the sins that you and I don't even really know, our, our hidden sins, once grace has been given to us through the blood of Christ, those are all forgiven. Those are all gone. And what's amazing is when we receive this grace, what starts to happen is we start to desire to be free of sin. We, we understand the great gift that was given to us. And all of a sudden, those first five books of the Bible that have all those laws, they're not so restricting anymore. In fact, they seem to be refreshing. Just like David said they seem to revive my soul because number one, I know Christ has done it all for me and so these are not laws to beat me down. These are, not, these are not laws to put me behind bars. These are not laws to kill me anymore. These are laws to glorify and to honor God and that's what I want to do because of what he's given me. And so I want to serve him. I want to, I want to honor him. I, I want to do what the law says but I know that when I fall short, guess what? My father is still there saying, Christ died for you. I love you. Go. I love you. Go. Keep living. See, David understands that in his life, sin reigns, big sins, little sins, known sins, unknown sins, and he's asking God. He's saying, God, reveal these sins to me. We know that when God pours out his grace on us, those sins are gone, and all of a sudden, our desires start to change. We don't want to sin anymore. We want to show our love to him and how do we show our love to him we do it by honoring him and we want to honor him in all areas of our life and now you and I know that this seems to wane and we can struggle with that and that's a prayer that needs to be a part of our life very often God please help me desire to live holy because God to be honest I just don't want to look at how much fun they're having at that tailgate I mean that looks like a blast but I know it's probably not right but God I'm really desiring that right now though Our prayers then are, God, just change my desires. That's probably going to be a lifelong prayer for all of us in here. But as Christians, we start to desire a life, to be blameless, to be innocent of the faults that we see. So we see where David ends up, don't we, in verse 14, where the Psalms so often end up. It ends in worship. David cries out at the end of Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David worships God, and he worships God understanding his weakness, but understanding God's grace, doesn't he? I was listening to Alistair Begg on this a couple weeks ago, and he really put it out there for preachers. He said, this should be the heart cry for preachers every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening when they get ready to stand in the pulpit and preach. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Not the people's sight. In your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I think this is a good heart's cry, though, for all of us, is it not? Every day. Every day on our way to work. Actually, I should say before work because I'm pretty sure I sing quite often before work because my kids are home and they cause me to sin a lot. <clears throat> we pray, don't we? God, let all my words be acceptable today to you. See, we can get caught in trying to be acceptable to others. No, God, let my words be acceptable to you today. Let, let all my intentions be acceptable to you. I'm not, this is where we can get caught as Christians, the whole intentions thing, where we start to do ministry to make it look good to you. You start to do ministry to make you look better than your husband, or whatever it might be. And we're praying, God, no, let the intentions of my heart be acceptable, not to all these people, God, to you today. God, let all my thoughts be acceptable to you. Help me with this, God. God, let all of my actions, everything I do, God, help it to be acceptable to you, and notice what he says, to you alone. Some of you live in homes where one of you is a Christian and the other isn't. And to be honest, when you live your life according to the Word of God and you're trusting in the grace of God, the fact is your husband or your wife or your kids, they just see it as crazy. They don't understand it, they don't grasp it. And so you live a difficult life in your home because you're always seen kind of as an outsider. Remember, your worship is to God alone, not to them. We we want to honor God when you go to work, you are there to please God. Yes, you might work for some company and you need to do your best for that company, but when you go to your job this week, you are doing that to honor God. Not, not your boss. To honor God. Whatever it is, you say, well, how can I honor God in hitting nails in a roof? You're honoring God doing that. How can I honor God in a cubicle? You're honoring God every day when you go there and do that. Honor Him and do it well. We pray, God, that all of our actions, our thoughts, our words, our intentions, God, we want it to be acceptable to you and only to you this morning as we gather. That should be the goal of every individual person in here, but that should be the goal of us collectively as well. God, this morning as we worship you, it's to you alone. No one else. It's to you alone. I want to worship you. And so... Whatever is preached, whatever passage is preached on, yes, use it in my life, but I pray that it be acceptable to you. God, whatever songs we sing, whatever Pastor Dave picked for us to sing this morning, I don't know what they are, but when we sing them, God, I, I want it to be sung to you and to you alone. I, I, want, I want the passages that are read. God, I pray that they would just honor you. as God, as people give their offering, I, I pray that they're not doing it out of feeling bad or whatever it might be. As they put that money in the plate, I pray that it be honorable to you, that it's honoring you, God, in my interactions with my fellow church family, as I, as I talk with them before and after service. God, I, I want to praise you because of those relationships. I, I want it to be glorifying to you. This is to be our intention. This is, this is the steps that it takes, as it said in Psalm 19. Creation reveals God, the word of God shows us that he's our God. It shows us, us and it shows us that he's our God, that he has saved us. That leads us to ask for grace. We, we know that we receive grace and as a response, what do we do? We, we worship together like David. That's, that's why we're here today. That's why Paul would later write, right? We give glory to God in all things. Our, our life is an act of worship in Romans 12, Right? Our life is a living sacrifice to God. This is the acceptable worship that we do. And we all live in this grace that allows us to worship. You see, for me, for many years, and I I grew up in this church, so a lot of you know me, but for, for many years, I knew about grace, I heard about grace. I did not live in grace say you don't think you were a Christian no I think I was a Christian but I I understood grace to be what got me in but I thought in my head that Tim kept me going as I pleased God as I sacrificed with offerings or as I uh, went and saw some old person somewhere or you know that's just what was in my head if I if I would just do these things you know I'll, I'll mow this lawn for this lady and I'm I'm being good I don't cheat on this test I just do it all on my own I'm I'm being good and so when I lay down God is smiling at me because Tim you are good today and I remember how it would filter into my life to where I would have a basketball game and I I wouldn't play up to my standard or what I thought I should and at night when I was taking a shower what I would be reflecting on was what did I do bad this week to cause me to play bad because obviously God's punishing me for sin there's sin in my life that needs to be dealt with and I I lived in this life for a long time, and i got to be honest with you, it is draining. And I'm afraid that some of you live that way. That when you go down to lay your head at night, that's what you think. You're counting up your sins, and you're thinking, my good didn't outweigh my bad today. And I think God's kind of frustrated with me. You get a bad thing at work, and you're like, this is God's punishment because of my sin. Now, you know you're a Christian, but you're still just struggling I hope that what you see in Psalm 19, what you see from King David, what you see from Romans chapter 3, that's not how we live our life. We're grace people. Every single day God looks upon you as the child of God. You know you've been saved. You've trusted in Christ. Every day he looks upon you and says, look at that person. Perfect. Perfect. You say, there's no way God can look at me and say that. He does because when he sees you, he sees his son. Perfect. Perfect. 100% perfect. And I hope you take that and I hope you walk out of these doors in a second and you live your life this week knowing God loves me so much. He's given me this creation to enjoy and not just that. He sees me as perfect through his son and he loves me. The just God doesn't give me justice of death. He pours out his grace on me and he loves me just as much as his son And that love will never fade. Why? Because he's revealed himself to me as Yahweh, Lord, steadfast, covenantal love. That's what you have as a believer. Now this morning, if you haven't trusted in Christ, you don't have that. You are a part from that. But you could be a part of it today if you would trust in Christ. If you would say, God, I I believe in Christ. I, I want that. I want to be forgiven of sin. The Bible says you will be. You will be. That's the great news. No catch. And so my hope is that this week you will live in freedom, brothers and sisters. I don't want you to live like I lived for so long until like I was in like my 20s, middle 20s, when I started really grasping this whole grace thing. Don't live wore out. Don't live ragged. Don't live spiritually exhausted. Live in light of the gospel day in and day out, knowing that God has poured his favor out on you. He loves you. You don't need some special word to come for you to know this. You don't need some special insight to live free. You don't have to understand the six Hebrew words that would, no, phooey, all that. You have grace. Live in grace. Live in freedom. Worship God. Honor him. And as you have opportunity, let other people know that it's there for them. And pray that God will open their eyes, that he'll use creation, that he'll use his word And that they'll fall on their face and then ask for grace and be given it. Amen? Let's bow together. Let's pray and after that we'll sing a song to close. God, we thank you for your great grace. God, I pray for our brothers and sisters in here this morning who continue to struggle in sin. I ask that you would help them to overcome that sin. We don't want to just keep living in sin. God, I pray that they would overcome it. But God, I pray that you would give them great rest knowing that Christ died on the cross for them. God, you know everything about us. You know even the hidden intentions of our heart. You know even the hidden sins in my life that I don't even know I'm committing right now. You know them. Yet you loved me so much that you would let your son die in my place. And God, you give us a privilege as a church to be able to share that good news with our family with our friends, with our coworkers, to extend that offering to them, saying, do you want to be forgiven of your sins? This is how. It's through Jesus, the word of God made flesh. And here's the book that God has given us to show us that it's true. He's testified to it. God, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. Help us to not to be ashamed of your word. Help us to live in the rest that you have given us. Because God, I know that as we understand that rest more and more, it causes us to want to serve you and honor you more and more. Too often we get caught up in rules and we think if we, if we talk more about morality, if we talk more about rules, if we do this, that's when it'll start to happen. God, I've learned that too often, that's just more weight. But as we start to teach about grace, as we start to look at your word and what it says of how much you love us, God, As people grasp that, as they understand that, all of a sudden, all those rules start to happen anyways. The laws start to be fulfilled. Sin starts to be destroyed. Satan's schemes start to get pushed aside. And we grow and grow more and more like your son, day in and day out, as you promised we would in your word. God, this morning, we want to respond to your word however we need to. And so as we sing this song, I pray that we would do that. Maybe there is sin that we need to confess. God, maybe there's just resting that needs to take place an acknowledgement of your grace. Maybe there's a thankful prayer that needs to be prayed this morning in someone's pew. Just thanking you for how good you are, thanking you for saving us. Thank you for being our Father. I don't know, but God, we want to respond rightly. So help us to do that now, even as we sing this song. We give all honor, all glory to you and to you alone in Christ's name. Amen.